All right. Venerable Chi Dao, thank you so much for popping on. I really appreciate you being on Thinking Bigger with Kevin Feely. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm just uh, at where I teach and I had this white board behind me and I figured, you know, I'm just going to write Kevin Feely on there so all of my followers can discover your podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, so let's get into a little bit about who you are. And, um, you know, a lot of people know you as the monk from TikTok. Um, so tell me a little bit about who you are and what sort of brought you to being TikTok famous. So my name is Venerable Chidao. I am 35 years old. I've been a monk for now going on seven years. And uh, I became a monk after hitting rock bottom after the passing away of my grandmother and best friend, Jacob Hall in 2015. Uh, I was on a very suicidal path and had I not taken this path, I would have probably wind up dead or in prison. Uh, it was a very suicidal path. So I veered towards the path to peace, which is something that my grandmother introduced me. I was born and raised Catholic and then by and through my grandmother's own journey inspired me to have a curiosity in Buddhism. So therefore I veered off and was like, wow, what is meditation all about? Who is this guy called the Buddha? What is enlightenment? So <clears throat> comes now, it's been quite some time since I was ordained. And the TikTok thing was just an experiment, actually. I didn't realize it was going to blow up the way that it did. And you know, I've always taught this way. You know, what you see is what you get. Um, the true and the real me. And a lot of people look at monks and they're like, yeah, we, we get it. He's a Buddhist monk, but, but who is he? What, what is he all about? What is his agenda for us? What is his goal for all of us hum in humanity? And so I've made it uh, quite uniform and transparent about what I want to bring to the people. And first and foremost, a unprecedented access that anyone can reach out to me for teachings, for questions in Buddhism, any misconceptions, uh, curiosity, the educational and philosophical aspect of Buddhism. And when I reached, before reaching a million followers in less than nine months, I did a video on the, uh, video games and enlightenment. And I said, the only time you guys are actually <laughs> fully enlightened is when you're playing video games. Uh, that's when you're not thinking about the past or the future. You're very in the moment, especially when someone's popping you. Um, <laughs> Call of Duty and all of these uh, first-person shooters, that's uh, a lot of fun. And or you're screaming at your buddies <laughs> on the headset. So there's a big, I guess there's a big, I don't know these things. I guess there's a big market out there for people who play video games and they instantly get the point. And it is exactly that. My, my teachings are mostly 60 seconds, straight, concise, to the point, easy to understand. You don't have to sit there and read all 84,000 teachings like some of us monks do to understand what is the Four Noble Truth and so on. So, you know, I hope to continue to bring everyone um, towards the path to peace um, and to discover Buddhism and how we can use the methods of the Buddha laid out 2,565 years ago and use it in modern day to achieve peace in, in this very ever-changing world of ours, very rapidly changing, you know, unsafe world that we are seeing now in 2022 and at the time of this talk. 
but yeah, that's uh, pretty much about me. <laughs> that's oh, great. Well, I mean, uh, I, I think I should probably add before becoming a monk, I served as an interpreter, uh, serving all areas of law and medicine. That means in the judicial system, uh, especially here in Pinellas County, the sixth judicial circuit, serving judges and attorneys in all areas of law, which is uh, criminal law, family law, uh, civil law, and working with physicians here, cancer patients, uh, oncology, psychology, psychiatry, OBGYN, neurology. So it, that's, uh, that's how I think I accumulated all these wisdom is the exposure to all of these things in our world that makes our world spin and work the way that it does the yeah. system aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Wow. That's so, and, and that's uh you were a Vietnamese interpreter. Yes. Serving Vietnamese people. Yes. Okay. Very cool. Um, so I guess I, so you, you'd, I want to kind of circle back on what you had mentioned where you said the only time people are enlightened a lot of the times is when you're sort of in the moment playing video games. Can you kind of elaborate on how do you describe enlightenment to people and dive a little deeper on what you mean by when people are playing video games? Cause you got me now. Hmm. Enlightenment is actually very easy to access and it's not hard. And it is not this place where people think that you go to after you die or, or so on. <laughs> There's two definitions to enlightenment, right? How I put it, how I teach it, uh, consistent with the Theravada School of the Elders, is that number one, you are fully in the present moment right here, right now. So in this moment, as I'm looking at you, Kevin, I'm not thinking about the past or the future, about my projects and so on and so on, or you know, how many times I've been uh, dumped in my relationships. <laughs> that would be recycling of the past. That would be depression. And if I'm right now in this present moment, looking at you, um, your the nature, tone of your voice, your facial expressions, um, and fully honed in to this moment, this is my enlightenment right now. And if you're doing the same, this will be our enlightenment, our nabanic moment right now. Uh, it's same thing with rock climbing, right? If you ever run rock climbing, you need to pay attention to the next rock that you're going to hang on to and how you're going to balance yourself and climb from here all the way to there without falling. And it's really hard to, to think about the, the past or the future when you're going to fall. <laughs> that this is why they show that rock climbing curbs depression. Likewise, in Thailand, you know, when people, when, when these young monks are walking on a two by four, literally off the ground, like six, six to eight feet off the ground. They are fully present in that moment of knowing what they're doing it's because you're going to fall six to eight feet. That's, yeah. that's going to be a big coach, right? Right. And so again, washing the dishes can be moments that where you can access this piece where if you've just, just enjoy washing the dishes. I mean, I really enjoy washing the dishes or vacuuming. I vacuum at night. I wash the car at night. It's it's peaceful. And I'm really fully in the moment trying to scrub. And so, you know, that is my enlightenment. And how many more nabonic, nirvanic, you know, uh, how many more of these nirvanic experiences do you want in a day? When we look back at how much we miss out on life, you know, like for me, example, I took thousands of pictures in my life. Before becoming a monk, I had a lot of relationships uh, with people and even romantic relationships. And I look back and 
probably the only time that I was fully enlightened is when I was in love, right? But my other relationships with people, with friends, I'm always on the phone. I'm thinking about elsewhere. I'm not really there. So when I look back at pictures, I realize, what were we talking about when we when I was with, with Brandon or Adam? What 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 was going on? Earlier, I told you that I I lost a best friend, Jacob Hall. And admittedly, the first like year or two, I didn't even know Jacob was there. I ran a airsoft team, airsoft paintball, interchangeable um, in the use of the equipment in regards to the sports. But it, it wasn't then when I look back at the group picture and I'm like, wait, Jacob was there with us? But he was so quiet. You know, right. I didn't really pay attention to later what came to be a brother that I never had. Yeah. And so I regretted that, that I could have had more quality time with Jacob, developing that relationship uh, and communications with him effectively, had I just paid a little more close attention and not too involved in other stuff. Um, these are some of the analogies and stories that I use to connect people with enlightenment. The other definition of enlightenment is when you fully let go of greed, which is excessive desire, anger which we all have, right? Especially when someone cutting in front of you in traffic and ignorance of the four noble truth in Buddhism. When you let go of all three of those, you will be fully enlightened. You will become actually a saint as defined as an arahant, A-R-A-H-A-N-T, an arahant in Theravada. So that's, that's a little bit harder. And that's why we must dedicate our whole life to purifying our minds and to achieve that sort of a permanent uh, state of mind, of nirvana. But for the time being, we practice meditation through walking meditation, through, you know, sitting meditation, the, all of the meditative methods and techniques to access these nibbanic peace and I've shared with people many times now when I close my eyes, you know, like the, the nothingness, enjoying the nothingness in the mind. The mind is no longer disturbed by any emotions that arises, right? And so that would be my definition of peace and how you can access that peace. Any one of you can access that peace at any point in time in your life. And how much more of that do you want? It is a reasonable want versus all of the drama all of the news that we see, all of the stuff that's going on with friends and family that's constantly disturbing us, um, the feeling the need to give advice to people who don't listen, you know, just your world when you look at the details of your world. I love that. So a lot of what you said sort of reminds me of when people say they get into the flow state. And for me, I practice and train jujitsu. And for me, when I feel the most peaceful and when my mind is the most quiet is when I'm in a chaotic environment, but I'm focused on that one thing. So you talked about monks being on this wood plank, you know, six to eight feet above the ground. For me, the when things are the slowest and when everything really slows down is when I'm in that chaotic, you know, I'm literally wrestling with somebody who can kill me with their bare hands and I guess that's the only thing I'm thinking about. And it's funny because when you mentioned that rock climbing cures depression, 
Um, I think anything that sort of lets you get into that space and slow down where you're not thinking about the past, as you referred to as depression and the future, which is anxiety, right? So I think that's really good, but could you elaborate a little bit about maybe flow state and what you know of that? Flow. Yeah. So what people don't know is I used to practice martial arts, Taekwondo with Master C here in St. Pete growing up. And I would also describe that that is one nabanic, very potent nabanic moments um, of the position of the stance, the position of your hands, the way how they instruct you and direct you for the katas, um, for the beautiful movements in the sequence, the sequential order of each katas. And yeah, it was the only time that I was remember very clearly when we, we sparred, when we got hit, when we fell to the ground, when we almost lost our teeth. And you learn from each of those movements and in anticipating the other person's move in martial arts. Flow is that, right? Flow is uh, number one, going with the flow, going with the activity that is happening in the present moment, playing tennis, volleyball, sewing, um fixing your car you're in the flow you're you're knowing exactly how you're going to tame this particular item project people that is at hand and since you we talked about martial arts you're always anticipating your, your other partners move like the position of their hands whether the left hand is further out and the right hand you already know which hand they're going to block or you start guessing their tendencies the potential and likely chance that they're going to deploy the next move or techniques on you and, you know, the, the, the sparring or even boxing or kickboxing or, or MMA or all these sports that people are engaged in, um, within those minutes, the, that would be your flow, the state of mind that you are fully immersed in joyfully uh, in that sport yeah. or activity. That's really good. I love it. Um, yeah, that's something that I'm so fascinated by, like. You know, same thing with running, right? Running allows me to get out and be in the moment and not focus for one hour, 45 minutes, whatever, on all the noise that's going on outside. You know, I'm just focused on one thing and we're two things, you know, my, my pace, you know, left foot, right foot and my breath. That's really it. And, um, I, you know, I've always thought that, uh, you know, I wonder if when I run, I'm meditating in some kind of way, you know? You are. If we just look, just number one in Buddhism, the basic principle is stopping. So if your life is moving too fast right now, stop for a second. I mean, all of you who are watching right now, who are listening right now, is stopping yourself right now. And you're you're like, well, Kevin's got who on this podcast? And what is he trying to say? Right now, everyone is practicing deep listening skills, trying to make sense of who I am and why we're talking about this and how this relates to you and how you can use this. Ah. So every activity in life, if we really wanted to be mindful, we would stop ourselves and just be like, why? Like, why am I rock climbing right now? <laughs> why am I walking right now? What is the reason for walking right now? What is the reason for running right now, right? It's for, hopefully you answer, uh, for health benefits, for, these, for the benefit of exercising and, and, and everything else. And so... When we look at just walking alone, do you know that you're walking? Uh, because it's been a habit, right? It's been a habit that we walk with our phones out. We walk with music in our ear. So we trip and then we fall. 
and we get mad at ourselves. And it's like, you had one job. And when you have this conversation with yourself, you're like, Kevin, you had one job. That job was to walk from point A to point B without tripping. Can you do that? <laughs> and if you're not mindful, yeah, you're going to step on probably a group of acorns or a rock that you did not see or a turtle that you tripped over. You know, you look at people in New York and they're walking. Trust me, they're not at peace when they're, they're walking. That is yeah. not uh, <laughs> mindfulness walking. Oh, I apologize. That's Social right. media monk, you're going to get a lot of dings. Um, and so... Yeah, you know, they got newspaper in one hand, they got coffee in the other, and, and so on and so on. Uh, hold traffic on text. Okay, I just told everyone, hold traffic so I can talk. <laughs> <clears throat> when, you know, it's not, it's, wow, and then they cross the street. You cross the street without looking where you're going, it's going to be a bad day. Yeah. It's not going to be pretty. Especially in New York. And especially New York, I mean, here in Florida, I mean, you just look at some of these basic things that people do and they're not, you know, poor thing living in America, everything <laughs> moves hundred miles an hour. Yeah. So our job is to try to tell them, Hey, look, just enjoy walking, just kiss the earth with your feet. Can you just do that? And then that's when they're like, Oh, well, that's easy. I'll, I'll, I'll do that now. So any one of us can stop ourselves today and try some of these very basic things, including mindfulness eating. When you're eating your potato chips, just look at it. Will you just look at it? <laughs> and people are like, what is there to look at? Well, look at the chips. They look really nice. They curve. You can make a duck mouth out of both of them. If you could just look. Enjoy the texture. Enjoy the salt. How much salt is in this one particular chip? Ah, and when people research mindfulness eating, that's that or eating a raisin, you know? And so if you just enjoy, just just enjoy potato chips or raisins or mozzarella sticks, then you will know what it's like to be at peace while you're eating um, some of the basic things ever. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and I think that a lot of the times, especially, you know, for people that have traveled to other countries where maybe things are a little bit slower, um, even some states in the, you know, in the U.S. and some some areas where people actually take their time, um, you know, I've always lived in pretty fast-paced environments, and I think I thrive off that. But sometimes being able to cut out, go slow, take your time when you're eating, take your time when you're walking, um, that that'll change a lot. So, what was it like blowing up on TikTok? You had mentioned that it was sort of an experiment, and you didn't expect it. And I know when we talked. Uh, the other day on the phone, you know, you sort of explained like, holy cow, it was growing, you know, like 50 to 100,000 people a day for a while. Um, and it just blew up. So can you tell me sort of how that came about? And what your life was like before versus after that experience? Well, my life is uh, still relatively somewhat the same. <laughs> um it's just more eventful and a little bit more projects that I want to engage in. So the enlightenment and video game analogy, I remember very clearly within like, within like that month and every day, no less than 80,000. And I, I don't think there was any more than 100,000. It's it just, the algorithm was incredible. I was just like, I can't believe in the hundreds of thousands, like 800,000, 900,000. 
and then it got to 1 million. And then like when it inched close to 1 million, I started promises to people, you know what, I'm going to do some great and big things if I get a followers. Just because, well, we've already gotten this far, might as well do great and big things to inspire people and humanity. Then I got the million followers. Then I started opening up programs like Buddhism Without Borders, where I stand up for LGBTQIA+. I started getting into the, the political arena. I started advocating for climate change, environmental protections, um, equality and justice. I was a very vocal and still is a very vocal voice um, in that. And a lot of people who are attending my retreat soon here said, thank you for standing up for people who have been marginalized, who are underserved, who have been pushed down for so long and for so far. Thank you for being our voice. And it was um, very emotional when they said that, just because, you know, people commit suicide every single day, not being accepted by their family. And I feel that, I see that in people when I'm talking to them, when I'm going through the journey with them, when I'm counseling them. <clears throat> so, it's, uh, it's been an amazing journey. It is nothing unlike any other. This particular path and journey is because you're helping people to achieve peace and you're standing up for the right thing. Uh, and it's something that I always remember. And the Dalai Lama said, if you lived a good life, you can relive it again when you're older. And best believe that this smile is going to be the same smile at 80 years old, knowing the amount of change that I have affected in the world. As to date, according to the algorithm and the science of how things are being shared, liked, and, and, and published, and republished, I believe that my teachings have reached more than 100 million people in the world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they asked me to write a book. So now I'm trying to finish this book before November. So it's a, it's a constant, uh, ever-changing projects uh you know we have i have a lot of work to do as a holy man and right now the most pressing issue is safety which is you know how people are you know shooting police officers committing crimes uh, that goes against what buddhism is is all about which is the first gift you give is the gift of safety sila in the threefold training and if we don't have sila, we don't have safety. <laughs> you can't sit and meditate underneath the tree because it's going to be a rocket grenade launcher go flying behind you. And, you know, the, the people are becoming more atheists or they're becoming more secular. And, you know, they just don't care. You don't have to, you don't have to have a million followers to effect change in the world. You just have to care. Care about yourself. Care about other people. The cultivation of compassion and understanding. How do we have compassion for other people? Is by through um, deep understanding, uh, deep listening, deep understanding. So <clears throat> I hope to inspire other people by and through my own chain and by and through my own transformation. And, and I actually, 1.2 million is, uh, is actually nothing <laughs> compared to some of these people that hops around, sing and dance, and they, they get like 10 million, 20 million. I've seen it. I've seen these numbers. And I'm like, y'all just got that from just dancing? Maybe I should start <laughs> dancing in row. You know, that would be that would be against the rules for monks. And um, 
but I hope to get more and I hope, you know, I'm starting to reach out to other celebrities. I've made that pitch to other celebrities or other influencers with double and triple digits across their platforms to help me bring this world under control and somewhat under control, you know, trying to get people to come back to yourself. People are running away from themselves first and foremost. And so, you know, when, when people are not at peace, they will do all sorts of things. When they have excessive greed and desire, they would do all sorts of things uh, out there that, as we've seen on the news. Yeah. And so I, I hope, you know, by and through podcasts like this and through the collaborative joint effort with every human that is involved, even our listeners, in talking about our conversation is that, you know, hopefully people will, will think and reflect wisely about what's happening here and how each person can, talk, can cultivate themselves to be a noble and wise person. Noble and wise. This is a word that you don't hear, like a noble person. Like, what, what is that? <laughs> it's the same thing in relationships. Loyalty. Like, oh, what is loyalty? So, unheard of, long, long, ancient, meaningful, purposeful words that we need to bring back to glue people together. And yeah, I, it's great, but I have a lot of work ahead of me. I don't sit there and like, oh yeah, I am a celebrity monk and I'm just going to sit back and relax and chill and you know enjoy the fruits of blah, blah, blah. No, I, I don't think I've ever stopped. And my motto is good, better, best. Never let it rest until your good is better and better is best. So as our world is evolving and changing, I have to evolve and change with our world and constantly think of ingenious ways to present these teachings to inspire young people, Generation Zs, the Zoomers, you know, and, and hope to save them, save them from themselves and save them from other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I want to go back to the beginning when you had mentioned that you had become a monk after sort of hitting rock bottom. And I personally had my own rock bottom. I know that there's statistically a lot of people watching and listening to this that are currently at rock bottom or approaching that. And when I was at my rock bottom with alcohol, with getting arrested all the time, with all sorts of things, I knew that it was either over or something much better was coming. And sometimes you have to go through that darkness to figure out the other side of you, right? Like you, you have to kind of go through a lot of hard shit to figure out how strong you are. And when you overcome that, you can share that with other people, which I think is beautiful about your use of TikTok is sure, there's people with 50 million followers, but they're not making the impact that you can make with a hundred followers, right? Mm. Um you know, so I think, you know, sometimes quality over quantity with that, but why not both? Right. So talk yeah. about a little bit about getting out of rock bottom and how you leveraged peace and quietness to get yourself out of that rock bottom. And, you know, you became a monk and obviously life is shifted in a very positive direction and you're, you know, using your platform for great things. So can you speak to that a little bit? So first and foremost, that makes both of us uh, that we were former bad boys, right? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the police used to come to my house every night, handing me back to my parents. Yeah. And um, so 
you know, I, I didn't become a monk because all was well and I was this happy golden child. All was not well. That's why I was like, okay, it's time to change. And I not change again, either dead or in, <laughs> in prison. Yeah. So um, in Buddhism, people have this misconception and notion about the first noble truth, which is their suffering in life. Uh, well, I, as we address your question, we also address the subject of pain and suffering, which is something that people are like, oh, huh. and our relationship and the meaning that we attach to pain and suffering. Now, I think pain and suffering is pretty awesome. What, what, uh oh, what does that mean? That means that we've been through that, right? And people who've been through the pain and, and suffering in their life, it's, it's, it's there. You are subject to it, said the Buddha. You are subject to old age, death, decay, disease, uh, and subsequent uh, old age. Uh, there you go. And when you look at carefully, how we acknowledge it or how we don't acknowledge it determines the quality of our mind, the state of our mind, the state of our thoughts, um, and our attitude towards life. Is it true that we are subject to old age, decay, disease, and death? Yes. Oh, let's look at the disease part of it, right? That there is mental disease and there's physical disease, right? And so along the way, you know, we, those who are wise, would veer towards Buddhism because it is a very, it is the most comprehensive and effective educational system the world has ever seen versus our public education. What did they teach you? Did they teach you how to let go when you got dumped or your relationship fell apart? Did they teach you how to forgive? You know, what, what religion out there taught you how to forgive? Taught you, you know, if someone smack you in this uh, side of the face, you turn the other cheek. How do you do that? Especially if you have a 38 underneath the glove box. <laughs> that was the most gangster line I've ever heard a monk say. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh, I keep it real. I have to relate to the people somehow. Yeah. Um, and so people run away from the pain. What leads to rock bottom is that either you are stopped by whatever forces, family forces, law enforcement, Jail is good for for people, actually. Yeah. To just once you're in there, just realize that if you don't like it, then time to change. Yeah. The act changing. But you know, hopefully, someone stops you. Either drug stops you, or either your near death experience would do it. That's one way of stopping. Jail is one way of stopping. Family, uh, you know, intervening is stopping, and so. That's when we, if you're, if, if, you know, hopefully you sit there and you're like, wait a minute, how did I get here? All the drugs, all the sex, all the girls, all of the trauma, addiction, abuse. How did I get here? How did all this get started? Like, how did my parents treat me? How was my interaction with my family? Was I abandoned? Was, was I a foster kid? Was I in the system? You know, why did I crave the attention? Why did I started to steal? Why did I started to lie? Why did I start to do this to people, hurting people, hurting myself? Starts with these questions. Spirituality is just that. It's about knowing yourself. And I didn't know myself. And like the most of us, you know, we just keep on running, running away from the pain, the pain of domestic violence, the pain of rejection, the pain of 
the hurt in the family, the history of the family, and so on. You know, and but it's good. It's good pain. It's necessary suffering because this realm of human, of being human, born human, is actually a a good realm and a favorable rebirth realm, said the Buddha, because you have a mixture of the two, a mixture of pain and suffering and pleasure. Ah, so you have to know how to balance these two that's going on in dynamically in your world. So, you know, too much of something is not good for you. Too much pleasure is not good for you. You know, too much drinking, too much water is not good for you. Too much sex is not good for you. Too much drugs is not good for you. And the total opposite is too lazy is not good for you. Just sleeping all day, every day in your bed is not good for you. Um, and so trying to find that balance is key in the making meaning and sense of our rock bottom. And so, you know, I, I would never be here had I not hit rock bottom. And I would never know what it feels like for other people who told me, you know, Venerable, I almost jumped off a bridge. Venerable, I almost blew my brains out. Um, venerable, you know, I I almost killed my wife. I almost killed my kids. I almost could suicide, homicide, just all these horrific thoughts. Yeah, I know where they've been. Just because I've been there. I've been there with a Glock 17 in my hand, pointing up to my head and wanting to blow my brains out. What kept me from doing it was the thought that I am the only interpreter in my region, in my county. Heck, perhaps in the whole state that could do what I did back then. So I, it's a selfish act to take my life knowing that my dying patients would probably die faster and left with a lot of pain and misery because they don't have an interpreter to work their cancer case. So in, in essence, my job and occupation saved my life in, in many ways. But I know what it's like to have in those dark days in your dark rooms, thinking about dark thoughts. That's Mara in Buddhism. That's your psychological demon that creeps up on you and tell you things and persuade you to take your life, persuade you to take the life of another. And we have to keep the mind under control. We have to learn how to keep the, the mind under control. We have to learn how to attend to the mind. We have to learn how to discipline the mind. And the Buddha said this. He says, the mind that is well-disciplined has been brought under control, is well-disciplined and attended to, does in fact lead to happiness, does in fact will yield that happiness for you. So it's all there, you know? And again, pain and suffering is awesome. Acknowledge it, embrace it, deal with it, face it, head on, stop running. The more you run, the more money you cost yourself. The more attorney's fees you're going to anticipate, legal fees to anticipate, medical bills that you're going to be anticipating, you know, cocaine, weed, drugs, LSD, shrooms, whatever, you name it, across the board. Intoxicating substance is what we define it as. Not good for you. I mean, just look at how many houses you can buy right now with all the drug use, you've, you know, all the money you use for drugs. Right. <laughs> just, just look at it. Or the yeah. addiction or the gambling or the prostitutes that we have been engaged in, right? Look at it carefully, examine it. You be honest to yourself. You don't have to be honest to me, be honest to yourself. Right. Ask yourself these questions in facing the truth, right? Facing your own demons. Yeah. And so um, 
yeah, I, I, I made tremendous progress spiritually as a direct result of facing these questions. To myself, I was my own jury. And just knowing how to ask these questions and write it down, I kept a journal when hitting rock bottom. I, I wanted to measure my progress. I want to look back one day and see how much I have grown. And now that journal will probably be published uh, down the line after the completion of this book, um, this Buddhism Now book, uh, hopefully published by next year. But I intend to, to share the whole world, my journey and how you can change. And it is never too late to change, no matter what age you are. And again, when we look at pain and suffering, welcome it. Yeah. And I'd like that you had mentioned that you, when you said that you hit rock bottom, you saw it as a challenge. And I noticed the same thing when I was at my lowest, I think that's hitting rock bottom was almost fun because it wasn't fun. It was the most painful and horrible thing I've ever experienced. But I remember just sort of thinking like, okay, well, that this is either it or I can get much better. And if I can sink down to this and get back, you know, I, I know that I'll always survive it if it happens again. Um, and I can help people. So what you mentioned is there's so many people that are at rock bottom and you shared what it's like to be there. And again, you're using your platform to help people who are there or who may be there one day or who are not having a good day. It, it could be the slightest thing, but the cool thing is that social media doesn't have to be an ego trip. And I think seeing a monk on TikTok, that's maybe the first thing people see. It's kind of confusing. Like it sort of seems like two conflicting worldviews, right? How is a monk on social media, right? But I'm sure people also, whenever they see you in public have mixed sort of reactions too, you know? But um, yeah, I just think that's really cool that you use your platform to help people when uh, some people use it to tear people down. Mm, yeah, you have a lot of, <laughs> people love drama, right? There's people out, out there that talks about other people and it's, I mean, they even talk about me. They even, they call me a scam and I'm like, really? Yeah. Out of all three school of Buddhism, I chose the one school of Buddhism that cannot ask for money. The only thing we can ask for is water as I'm holding up a water bottle. That's yeah. the only thing I can ask any one of you at any given time in my life. And so I'm like, you know, with my talents and wits and, and level of intelligence and wisdom, you, you what, what, go ahead, sit there and ponder what my motivation is. For fame, do you think that I did this for fame? Because no one exempt praise or blame, you know? And, and so... Uh, it's not all that being a celebrity either. And I think all of us always wonder what it's like to be a celebrity. And let me tell you that they will throw all sorts of sticks, stones, and bows and arrows at, at you, especially in the religious arena, especially other people who you don't know where they're coming from. Oh, you're going to go to hell. Oh, you don't believe in God. Oh, da, 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 da. you know, and so on. But yeah. I was inspired by other senior monks. Uh, the first one was uh, Yuta Tammo, who has a hundred more than 100,000 followers on YouTube um, when he, he started the YouTube thing. And I, was, I thought that was, and he was uh, Canadian. Um, and, you know, he looks very white, like a white male. And so I was just like, are you kidding? Like, I, I, I was like, what's, what's going on here? Even, even for me, even before becoming a monk. And, but he was very on point. He walked like the wise, 
He is the wise. I have met him before here, right here in D Dunedin, Florida. Um, everything that he says in practice, his words were consistent with his action. And that's how we get the truth. And observing him and the fact that he could memorize the Pali language on the top of his head at any point in time was impressive because he's so dedicated and committed to the path that unlike ever seen before in the whole world. And so therefore he set the stage for us young monks to use the social media platforms to reach people. I mean, how, how is Buddhism, Buddhism going to spread? If Buddhism flourish, our world will flourish. Simply put, if you look at everything that we stand for, everything that is all about the non-toxic philosophy, the acceptance of all people across all race, culture, LGBTQIA+, people with disabilities, people who've been in jail, prison. Even if you are a murderer, we will still accept you because the teaching of Angulimala, who've killed hundreds of people and was trying to kill the Buddha. And the Buddha was like, listen, why are you still running? I've already stopped. He was able to he was able to inspire a murderer, a mass murderer, right? We have mass shooters nowadays. And he was in, inspired him to change and became a saint. And Gulimala became a saint. So, you know, again, people with the guilt of felony convictions are labeled as uh, habitual offenders or so on and so on. You, we will accept you. Buddhism will accept you. I will accept you. I will never turn anyone away from my school of Buddhism. Okay. And for me as a spiritual leader. So I want people to know that. I want people to know that our world is changing. It's not so mystical anymore. You have people like me to demystify things. And I'm here to serve the people. It's not about me. It is not about me. It's not about, you know, the fame, glory, or status. It's all about you and how all of us can come together to, to make a change within ourselves. Very good. It's extremely powerful. Now, um, <clears throat> let's talk about letting go of toxic relationships. I know that you've spoken on this before. I just wanted to get your opinion on people who have a lot of toxicity around them, whether it's a work relationship, uh, a romantic relationship, a toxic family member, something like that. You know, I know, like I said, I know you've spoken on this before, but can you dive a little bit into that? The root cause of their toxicity may stem from how they were raised, what they were exposed to. Remember, all of us humans come in and we're, we don't know anything. It was, but somewhere down the line, we became like tape recorders and video recorders, kind of like your GoPro. Right? We hear things, we see things, and it's all being downloaded in the background into our minds. If we had a toxic mom, we will probably, probably most likely be toxic. We have an angry dad, we'll most likely probably be an angry guy or gal. And so therefore it will bleed into your relationship if these issues are not addressed. Everyone wants to love, okay? But not at the right time. That's where the mistake lies. Um, and no one taught us how to love. Look at our public school system. It doesn't teach you how to love. It does not teach you how to forgive. It doesn't teach you the true nature of reality of things. It doesn't teach you the true nature of reality of relationships. So you come in relationships, you bring all these baggages and it just spills. You spill, she spill, she spill, you spill, okay? Um, in, in, in even LGBTQ relationships, it doesn't matter, human to human. And then, and then we're like, I can't believe you said that to me. 
uh, and then we personalize it. And that just compounds the toxicity within both parties is the, is the personalization of the attachment to words and meanings. Oh, you're a beep, beep, beep. You know, you're, you're an a-hole. You're, <laughs> you, you can entertain all of the words that has being used uh, when we are hurt. And when we don't want things our way, we will throw bows and sticks and stones at the other person. <clears throat> the root of all of this, again, is not seeing things clearly and they don't see the first noble truth, which is old age, death, disease, decay, right? If you are subject to that, the other person is also subject to the same suffering that you are going through. So how could, Kevin, how could I do harm to you if I knew that you were, that you grew up subject to birth, you know, you were born, right? And the fact that once you hit cold air, you started crying. Old age, you know, we're not getting any younger as men. We yeah. can see all of our cells replenishing and trying to regenerate, you know, decay, you know, look <laughs> at your hair, nails, all these things about your body that's ever changing. You see the proof in you, within you. Okay. And so how can I be mean to you? If I know that you're suffering, you, I wake up with back pain, you wake up with back pain. You cry, I cry. You hurt, I hurt. So how could I say mean things to you, not even knowing who you are, not even knowing where you came from, right? And so people are toxic to each other because they haven't seen the noble, noble truth. And seeing doesn't mean just with your eyeballs. It is seeing with your heart. So when I see you, Kevin, I see an impending human who is waiting to die. You know, I see a, uh, you know, a, a, a prognosis already. You know, when I sit on a city bus as a monk and I look all around me, I actually, all, all I see is skeletons, actually. And so, therefore, it eliminates the need for judging. Oh, she's overweight. Oh, he's got a beard. Oh, he's black, white, Puerto Rican, blue, Chinese, Japanese, you name it. How do we cultivate compassion is by seeing the first noble truth. I've loved seven times in my life, on or about seven times. I don't think it's less than that. Um, but less than 10 times. <laughs> but I can remember vividly uh, seven times where I said the, the word, I love you. I gave promise rings. Therefore, I had full intention of spending my life with that particular individual. So giving relationships advice, and I went to college for years, Ecker College, to study relationships. Since I wasn't good at it, maybe I should study love. And so hopefully people reflect nowadays. And, and at the time of this podcast, that, yeah, study love if you don't know how to love. If you're toxic and you know that, you know, learn about yourself. And if you're in a toxic relationship, you should ask yourself, why would, why would you put yourself through this? Life's too short to like cry every day. You know, what is, the, why are we here? We are trying to love and like each other because we want to spend time and be happy and enjoy nature and watch movies together and cuddle and kiss and tell you how much I love you and how grateful I am because of you. And you bring so much joy to my life. I mean, I love seeing you in the morning. You're like Christmas morning. I look at you. Why do we not using these speech and language to each other? You love her, yes. Do you say enough of it every day? Ah, I had this one girl that kissed me every morning. Like I slept in, I was one of those 10 hour people. <laughs> <laughs> and this she gave me a kiss you would never i mean i you 
instantly woke up when you received this kiss because it was one of those kisses that was like, it was a kiss that meant I love you and know that. And know that anything that happens today, I will always be with you. It was that type of kiss. And I was in the middle of college trying to study love. And I, that was what it meant to me. It was that one of those kisses. And we, we, if we just look at the type of kisses and what it means, oh, the, oh, the, the quick kiss, the, oh, yeah, I love you, I got to go kind of kiss. Yeah, we know that. But this particular kiss was unlike any other. It was an impression, it was a lifetime impression. She gave me that every morning because she had to go to work before I did. And I, it just brought a smile to my face the whole day. And in the challenges of the day, it was amazing. You can right now and look at your partner right now and be like, look, look we're going to try what the Venerable just said. Let me, get, let me try this kiss again. <laughs> let, uh-oh, uh-oh. Um, let me try this kiss again. And, um, you, you know, that's what it's, it's all about. So redefine your relationship, have a zero tolerance policy for abuse, uh, psychological abuse, physical, you know, the warning signs, people bring some intelligence into your life and make intelligent and wise choices to ensure your peace and safety and happiness. That's awesome. I really love that. And, you know, <clears throat> You had mentioned that people will throw sticks and stones, and especially at somebody who has 1.2 million followers, you only increase the odds of that happening, right? There's more people uh, that'll be able to do that. But, you know, they call it tall poppy syndrome, right? Um, you know, there, there's nobody who's doing more than you that will hate on you like that. So I think when people are leaving nasty comments, which you'd be so shocked when, when you know, I've had a couple of videos go viral and when people leave comments, they do it not realizing that somebody's going to read that. There's another person on the other side of that, and they're fighting a battle just like you. But it's just so easy for people to leave these little comments. And, you know, I think that's one of the negative sides of social media is people are taking their pain and attacking somebody else that they don't know, that they don't like, that they have no, no common ground with. At least they don't think so they take all this pain, they throw it at somebody else. And that really adds up. So I think, you know, walking the line of social media can be, you got to be really careful because it can get toxic fast. And again, nobody doing more than you is going to hate on you. So when people leave negative comments, I try to take the Gary V approach and just send love back to them. Cause if somebody's hating on me, they're really just doing that. It's a mirror of themselves. Do you agree? I do. I, it rolls right off for me. Uh, you know, this is very prevalent, a uh, big issue, bullying, cyberbullying, where a lot of people are committing suicide as a direct result. And, you know, nowadays it, it just rolls right off after so, so many years of doing this, it rolls. I mean, what do you want to call me? Right. You want to call me a murderer. You want to call me a rapist. You want to call me, uh, go ahead, call me because I'm not that. So I, it, it, a jancha of the Thai forest tradition said, if they call you a dog, well, first thing is look behind you. Do you have a tail? If you don't have a tail, then why are you worried about it? So is it true, right? If someone called me a murderer, is that true? Have I ever killed anyone? No. You know, As a matter of fact, I've never been convicted of a crime. Okay. If someone called me a rapist, well, uh, here, here's my DNA. Like, here, what, what do you what, what do you want from me, right? Go ahead. I, I am a public teacher. 
I'm appearing live now, uh, you know, uh, go ask people, go like, have I ever raped them? Have I ever uh, had sex with them non-consensual, whatever the definition of rape uh, means to you, right? You know, it's not that, so it, it rolls right off. When we look at ourselves as a visitor on this planet, this is all I am. I'm not a celebrity monk. I'm not a venerable. I'm not a monk. I'm not a, I'm just this visitor that came and went through life and learned life lessons and, and found something that is, that can be liberating, found something that, that liberated me from my suffering. And I want to teach you that for free. And that's it. That's all. And I'm going to leave one day. Don't be attached to me either. You know, I'm going to leave one day. I, I can die tomorrow. I can trip and fall and die or get into a car accident or something like that. But I just want to give you this gift, all of you. That's it. And, you know, and even if someone frames me, let's say they throw me in prison for something. Let's say, well, let's, let's go find the Venerable's residence and throw up five pounds of cocaine in there and call the DEA on him. And they throw me in prison. And the judge is like, yeah, we're going to give you four consecutive life sentence plus 25 years. Uh, that, okay. Hey, well, well, must be my, I'm pretty sure I'll have lawyers that will volunteer to do appeals, but I'll sit there and I will still be in Nirvana. I will still be in Nirvana. How and why? Because whatever food they give, I have no preference. As a monk, I, all my trainings, I have no preference in whatever they give me to eat. The food is just there to keep my body going. I'm going to sit there and meditate. I'm going to access that peace like we discussed. And I'm just in bliss. <laughs> I'm going to write out the sentence. I said, heck, I'll be a saint sitting in prison. So, you know, all of the horrendous things that could be said to me or to anyone, I'm just using me as an example so people can relate to that. Yeah. Uh, me, the object, me as the subject, you know, it just rolls right off. It's just, it's just like, it's just like water hitting a leaf and it just rolls right off the leaf. Yeah. You know, so I encourage everyone who has been a subject of public shaming or this social media stuff, learn the ways of the Buddha. The Buddha teaches you how to deal with praise and blame as a public official, as a non-public official, as a human altogether. I love that. That is awesome. And what you said about when you're riding the bus and you see people, all you see is skeletons. You know, I try to rem remind myself all the time that death is always extremely near, whether it's somebody you love, whether it's you, it's going to happen to everybody. We don't get out of this life alive. And everybody that I know that have seen this tattoo, and most of my friends that have seen this tattoo that I got think it's kind of dark, but I have this tattoo that says, reminder, you're going to die. And mm. it's right here where I can see it every day. And whenever I make a decision, whenever I make, whenever I have a thought, this is always there. Reminder, you are going to die. So why live life in a negative fashion? Why not take chances? Why not try to live the best life and be the best you that you can be? Because you're going to fucking die. So I think that, <laughs> I mean, it's true, right? We're all going to die. And most people think that we're not going to die. They think that they're invisible and nothing's going to happen, especially, you know, I remember I was like that when I was younger. And once you have a few friends die, you've had friends die. I've had friends die. My sister committed suicide, whether it ends positively or negatively, it's going to end. 
And I, when I finish my life, want to look back and realize that I did everything that I could to the best of my abilities. So whenever I make a decision, I try to make the hard and right decision, uh, not the easy decision, you know, and try to remind myself that I'm going to die. So two things that is very potent I have found in Buddhism, the practices, the meditation on death. When am I going to die? How am I going to die? Where am I going to die? Is very potent. It is aimed to shake people up and to realize that because I don't, I don't think because we run away from the subject of death and the thought of death that it doesn't face us. That's why people do the foolish things that they do. That's why they shoot at cops and they like, they just do all the, they just egg on their neighbors thinking that you're not going to get shot by your neighbor. Really? Um, and this retreat coming up, they're going to learn about death and they're actually going to meditate in front of an actual real skeleton named Stan that came from Dr. Preston's office. There's a real wow. actual skeleton and everyone is going to laser focus on the skeleton being them. It's called a Subha Bhavana, um, a Subha Kamatana, actually, uh, death meditation. And so when we see death within us, our pending death, we realize what kind of legacy am I going to leave behind? Who do I want to be remembered as? Because, you know, for some of us, like we really care about the continuity of our legacy. And I can tell you all that even if I died right now, like if I have a heart attack in the next 10 minutes, I would die with a smile on my face. Why? Because I gave, I gave more and took less. I gave everything. I gave my money, time, energy, effort. I dedicated my speech, body, and my benefit of humanity. What more do you want from me, dear karma? What more do you want from me, dear Jesus? What more do you want from me, dear Lord Buddha? It's like, I, I'm doing everything I can. So you die happy knowing that you did your best and whatever karmic effects that takes place, or if you have to stand in front of the judge for judgment day, stand in front of the Lord Jesus in judgment day, you have a good case. You have a good case that said, hey, I did everything that you told me to do in the Bible <laughs> with the people that I was with, with the resources available to me and the time that I had. Lord, I did your work, right? So I teach all of that. So whatever fear that you have in death, look, we're, we're going to go, we're going to have so much fun at it on this subject where people fear the most. It's deep. It's really deep. And people don't want to talk about death. You know, people act like it's not going to happen. And like you said, these crazy, you know, people that shoot at cops and kill people and, you know, do all these extreme things. It's lack of understanding that, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm not religious. I used to be an atheist. I, I don't think I am anymore. Um, you know, when I got sober, some, some things happened that made me sort of look at the world differently. And that sort of led me down this sort of path of, I guess, seeking whatever you want to call it. But I do know that in my intuition, I think that if you do good, if you spread good in the world, and like you said, you gave more than you took, um, I think good things will happen. And I think regardless, I think we should do that regardless of what happens when we die. You know, nobody truly knows um, unless they've been through it, right? And we could talk about near-death experiences, people leaving their body, all that stuff. That That's a whole nother podcast on its own. But 
Um, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I think accepting death is, is really important. And, uh, that's really deep that you guys meditate in front of a real skeleton. I mean, how much more real can it get? You know, we actually, we Buddhist monks actually meditate in front of an active rotting corpse. Yeah. That's it, hardcore. It yeah, it is my introduction to students. Uh, I'm, I have to raise money to to uh, to buy the real skeleton because I really want the real skeleton because because of no other teachers out there pushes death meditation more than I do. Yeah, because of the potency. Um, and so, but we monks actually sit in front of an active, rotting, <laughs> smelly corpse, and the color of my robes, as I interchange all of the spice colors, the orange, the gold, the red the you know all the spice colors it, it all means death it is the same thing as your tattoo um it reminds us of our own mortality every day and actually same thing with catholic priests like why do they wear all black and the white collar because the all black means that they have died to themselves and everything they do is for the benefit of others and there's Ooh. no more self-greed self-interest so same thing. I have died to myself. Like, again, I've told you, I'm just a visitor. On I own nothing and I want nothing. Um, so therefore, less is more in Buddhism. But I invite, you know, if you ever have the chance to come meditate with me and, and visit this wonderful skeleton, it's like, wow. And once you have faced death and understand it and get past uh, the fear of death, you will be limitless, limitless. Yeah. Well, I think me and my producer Carlos will plan a trip out there and we'll have to do that because um yeah, I think I think this is not the last podcast we'll do. Uh there's there's so much value that you've spread. I really appreciate it. Um, where can people follow you? And I know that you're working on a book. So if you want to talk a little bit about the book and where they can, you know, get more info on that when it does come out. Um, yeah. The book will be the totality of all of my teachings put together. Obviously, I wasn't ready to write this book at age 35. I was ready to write a book probably at like 60 or 50. Yeah. But it's a rare opportunity that I did not want to pass up on. And uh, it's going to be a very comprehensive book. It basically tells you about what's going on in our world, how I dealt with it, how I'm teaching people to deal with the stressors in the world right now, the changing uh, dynamics of the, the, the economy um the the crime rates um and interpersonal issues like toxic relationships um depression anxiety and all of that i'm incorporating all of my years of clinical experience in social work in law in medicine and within the 80 thousand teachings of the buddha to help you make sense of your world and how you can transcend your suffering quite fairly quickly the book needs to be so potent that you can change right after the book. Right after the book, you need to be enlightened. Not like Buddhist enlightenment, but you need to be like at least academically enlightened where your eyes are like, oh my God, how did I not know all of this? Like, oh my God, what have I been missing in my whole life? <laughs> and how do I proceed on forward intelligently into manifesting whatever it is that I want? So again, it's, it's the summary and totality of everything that I've went through and what I want to see the world um, how the world needs to change and will change for a better path um, for humans and our environment. So yeah, it's 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 very challenging this book because again, trying to put it all into 300, 400 pages. 
So everyone can look forward to that. Something to look forward to next year. Hopefully, middle of next year, it will be printed. But again, because of the magnitude of this work, could be subject to revisions. It could be subject to editing. But uh, but if you're ever curious, you all can visit my my YouTube, which is Gdao Monk T R I D A O Monk. You put it in the search bar. You can also put Gdao Monk uh, on Google or Venerable Gdao on Google. I'm I'm pretty easy to find, and across all platforms, TikTok and Instagram. So I'm not a difficult person to find. Oh, you can send an email to me at the number one Vietnamese interpreter at Gmail. <laughs> I make myself quite accessible. It's hard. It's you would never find someone out there that says we couldn't find him. Like, <laughs> what, what 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 do you mean you couldn't well, find they, me? <laughs> they didn't try, right? I know people. People, you know, this is still a relatively new podcast, but people always ask me, you know, how do you get these guests on the podcast? These these you know big people. I mean, you have you know, 1.2 million on TikTok, you, you have over hundred million total views. Um, you know, how do you get these people on your podcast? It's like, I just reach out to them, you know, and, and network. And, you know, if I re if I can't reach you on TikTok, I can probably reach you on Instagram. If I can't reach you on Instagram, maybe you're, you know, there's less noise on Twitter and maybe email, or maybe I can find an assistant. Like, I think that people, and the reason why this podcast is called Thinking Bigger is people think too small. You know, they, they limit their opportunities. They limit what they can personally do and what's possible for them, which if they were to just open up the horizon and realize that they can think on a bigger scale, they can find more opportunities if they believe that they exist and they're possible. Um, yeah, I think more people should do that. So Again, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to your book. I'm definitely going to pre-order one when that's available. Uh, and then we're going to have to do a podcast in person because uh, there's a, a totally different energy that happens when it's in person. So uh, if you're down for that, would love to do that. And uh, yeah. Thank you for having me. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to give the people my voice and my vision and everything that, you know, to affect the purpose of um, my, my goals here for humanity. And I look forward to having, you know, this podcast again in the near foreseeable future. We have a lot of subjects to, to touch up on. I think it will feed the spiritual needs of the people and it will satisfy their hunger for knowledge uh, as it will help them think bigger. And it is exactly that. That's what that's what makes us different from other creatures in the world, right? It's the ability to think, uh, our cognition, cognitive abilities. We have to use that uh, ability to improve the quality of our life and the lives of other people, our neighbors. And with that, it will make an impact in our world. And we need more people like that. So you're doing great work. And from a representative of this Buddhist tradition, you know, we encourage you to continue doing what you're doing. And one day we will meet. Absolutely. I love to meet everyone um, in person. It is the collective energy uh, presently because, you know, too bad COVID did a number on us and we're now used to the social media and the, the, the webcams. But if you all ever get a chance to be in person with a, a true authentic qualifying teacher or individual that is doing this type of work, do so so that you can ask questions in person. You can feel and see their energy and presence. And it is amazing. So again, thank you for having me. And I look forward to meeting all of you. 
And Kevin, it was a, a true pleasure. And you, you asked really, really good questions. Questions that so may you all be well, be happy, be free, and always be healthy. And I look forward to uh, hearing from all of you or answer your questions that you may have in the near foreseeable future. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Yes.